Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We have a treat for you all today. We have a special guest. And I'm going to just jump right in and introduce him, all right? So today we have Fabio Peña, a first-generation college graduate born in Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. He earned his bachelor's degree in social and cultural communications from the University of Washington in Seattle and is currently pursuing his master's of business administration degree at Seattle University. Fabio co-founded the First Generation Consultation page alongside his wife to give back to the First Generation community through mentorship via the First Hub Network and storytelling that is unfiltered, inclusive, and transparent. When he is not working, Fabio loves to travel with his wife, play with his two pet huskies, dance, cook, and enjoy the outdoors. And I'm also going to say really funny reels. I'm going to add that to (laughs) your bio there, if you don't mind. Fabio, how are you? I'm doing great. What is up? What is up? What is up? Yeah, how's your week been? Oh, it's it's been a really great week to say the least um <clears throat> i'm making some transitions with uh with work and i'm excited to you know Ooh. be pursuing um you know the business full-time and also school full-time so things have been oh, going great um, yeah we're working on some uh, really cool uh product launches and i, I don't want to get too much into it but we can't wait to just announce it already um things are just going great so i'm really really thankful Yes, that's awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. Like, uh, yeah. well, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about yeah. what you got yeah, we'll going on it. in a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sasha, how are you feeling today? I'm excited. I'm really excited for Fabio as a guest. Um, I'm oh, yo, I'm tired. Like, I don't know if it's like the so Fabio's on the West Coast. Just FYI, so I don't know what you're going through seasonal. I don't know what seasonal looks like for you, but for us, we're getting into the cold and mm. it, it feels like, you know, but this is such a New York thing and this is part of like who we are too. Like it's such a fucking tease, man. It's like we're getting into the cold and then we have two days that is hot and I'm like, oh, wow, this feels so good in my body. And then I go right back to being freezing. And when I get cold, I don't stop. I, sh- I do not belong in New York, period. So I've just been really tired and trying to adjust. How about you, boo? Yeah, no, I think I've just hit a peak burnout. I feel like I can't wait to be like Fabio. Like, I got some announcements coming, some transitions happening. (laughs) Um, But no, I think I've just been feeling like very, like, burned out with work. But I'm actually hoping to, you know, make a little request for some three-day weekends from now until the end of the year to kind of make sure I don't crash and burn. Um, But we'll see, yeah. But otherwise... Everything else is like pretty chill, thank goodness. Because I don't think I'd be okay if work and everything else was feeling a little crazy. So, so let's get started. 
Can you just tell us a little bit about growing up an immigrant in a Mexican household? What were your norms, expectations, uh, challenges, whatever it is that you think it's, is relevant to, to talk about, especially with first generation? Because obviously it's something that played a huge role in your life, right? Considering your, your consulting group. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'd be happy to get into that. I think for me, when I'm asked that, I, I reflect back on my childhood and I think of all these things that were going on and everything that I was going through with me, uh, my siblings and my parents. And to me, obviously growing up, that's just, I thought that was the norm, you know, um, even like uh, extended relatives, you know, like my cousins, because we were, our parents came from like the same hometown in uh, in Jalisco um, we all had like very similar upbringings and, you know, we were just close. And so one of the things that I um, experienced was both of my parents working like maybe 50 hours a week just because of, you know, like the the migrant working jobs that they had, um, especially during like the fall, they had like, you know, harvest seasons. And so they'd be working like 50 to 60 hours a week. And so what that consisted of was, you know, being home alone with my siblings a lot of the time. Um, having to go to daycare a lot of the time, seeing like my cousins at those daycares because our parents were just always busy working. Only to find out like when I went to college that a lot of other students you know, who didn't have that um, similar thing going on, you know, they had both parents at home, you know, they even had like a caretaker to assist everything going on like that was going on in the household. And so it seemed like a lot of other peers had their parents a lot more present, but both of my parents had to work all the time. Most of the time, um, it felt like uh, we we had to hold down the the, the four. You know that came with added responsibilities, doing a lot of chores, um, not necessarily cooking because my mom did that even after like when she got off like a long work shift. But um, just helping around the house a lot. That was that was part of the the childhood growing up. Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting because for us here in New York, um, we hear yeah. a lot about migrant workers and um, kind of like what they go through and we see the pictures online, but it feels, it's different from our experience. Uh, here, a lot of immigrants maybe work restaurant jobs or factory jobs or nannies or cook, mm -hmm. and, you know, like, because we don't have, you know, obviously like farms and things like that here on the west coast so i mean on the east coast so it's interesting to hear about the experience over on the west coast and i can't imagine working such such difficult jobs that require so much labor and then having to come home and cook and clean but um i think we can at least relate to kind of having to ho hold down the household and and yeah. kind of fill in the gaps where our parents couldn't do that so you grew up with these challenges you thought that you were the, like, this was everyone's experience and you realized that you were maybe one of very few people who experienced this. What was that? Like, how did you realize it? What was that experience like um, to kind of realize like, oh, like this wasn't everyone's lived experience. This was my lived experience. Yeah. So I think for me, it's just like about perspectives and I'll just uh, rewind a little bit. It was really mainly uh, towards the end of my high school career that I just feel like I Everything was just clear, full vision to me. Um, a lot of relatives that I had growing up, you know, not a lot of them really wanted to pursue college in a different city. Um, a lot of my friends, they they didn't really have plans to go to college, and so I was kind of like the lonely one. Um, my older brother, thankfully, like he got, he set the example and he went to college um, to Washington State University, and that was cool and all. It was like a small town towards like the eastern side of the state. But I wanted to move to the city, and that was in Seattle. 
And I was like the only one who was doing that. And so that's when I started experiencing like the challenges of like a first generation, you know, um, mm-hmm. student. And I think for me that that was like, whoa, okay, if no one's going to be doing it, then I guess I got to figure it out on my own. And that's, you know, a lot of those challenges obviously consist of, you know, finding out who to ask certain questions to, finding uh, resources, you know, learning how to apply to financial aid. Uh, all that can be very stressful and overwhelming when you don't really have friends to go to because for them it's like, now nah, let's just kick it on the weekend, you know, let's kick it. But um, I was like, no, that's dope. I'm super down to do that. Just, I need to, gotta, I, I gotta do this thing first, you know, <laughs> I gotta apply to this college first. And it's just kind of being like on different uh, pathways with, with friends. Uh, so. Yeah, no, I get that. So, so many things are going through my mind from the beginning of when you first started describing your experience. A, I can, I completely agree with what Crystal said. Like, it's a completely different experience for immigrants here on the East Coast, right? But what I thought about um, was, um, have you ever seen that movie, A Day Without a Mexican? Uh, it's an old movie. It's in 2004. So. No. so, but basically what that movie describes is if you were to remove, like what it's trying to show is if you were to remove all the Mexicans and all the immigrants within this country, right? And you think about the jobs that they fill, who would fill those jobs? Mm-hmm. Our country wouldn't function. And I think that to your point, because you're on the West Coast and harvesting, I don't know what the hell harvesting is, right? But like, there's a need for workers. And usually there's a need for workers who are willing to work for less and work more than what it is that they're, they should be getting paid. Mm. So I just want to make that point, because I think that this is very specific to us as children of immigrant, of immigrant parents who weren't born here. We have so many parents working these really long hours. And then to your most recent point, they're not there to supplement the things that they came to this country to give us, right? So we have opportunity to go to college and we have the ability to say, yeah, I want to move into the city, but I don't know how the hell I'm going to do it, yeah. right? Like, like I, my experience in going to college, it was pure luck. I was like, oh yeah, I'll apply. And I got in and I, I had no idea what I was doing. Well, at least it sounds like you knew what you were doing. So that's good. Um, but <laughs> so like, they're, so, they're so consumed, our parents, with working these jobs that nobody else wants. Mind you, mm-hmm. people say that we're taking jobs. They're taking jobs, which is so wild to me. I just have to point that out. And then now you, we're, they're having children who, because of the result of how immigrants are treated in this country, were also lost within navigating the system and how to be better but Mm -hmm. if we don't do that on our own individually we get blamed like oh look you had the opportunity and you didn't take it mind you what there where's the setup for us to really understand what the opportunity is Mm -hmm. yeah i totally agree i think um for my parents obviously they didn't really have a choice do they just for them is like more money than it's more uh it's more cushion to provide for the family. Right. And so it's something that they were kind of like forced into doing. Um, and I agree. They've always told me that, well, if you're, if you're not going to work, then you're not going to get anything, you know, you're going to be starving or you're not going to be able to have enough to pay for bills or get by. And so they've always instilled that um, within me, like since a very young age. And I don't know, maybe I think that's something that all of us like first generation child of immigrants can relate to is like that, that hustle and work culture, just if we're just, if we're going to be lazy, not do anything that we're not going to get very far. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. I had that same mentality instilled in me. I think the one thing that I do feel like, like now as I'm, 
getting to a place, and maybe this is because I'm feeling a little burned out with work. I think like their intentions and working hard and, you know, always putting your best foot forward and having that hustle mentality has, has been great. But I think it has kind of also internalized itself in ways that have been harmful because I feel like if I don't give 2000% oh, like, or what feels like, you know, going above and beyond just to kind of reach the level or to feel like I'm achieving at the level or catching up to the level of my white peers, you know, like I feel like a failure. I feel like I'm an imposter if I do well. Mm -hmm. um, and I was wondering if you've had experiences similar to that, because I know that that's something I struggled with a lot growing up. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think for me, it was probably like my first, uh, my first couple jobs right out of college. Um, I didn't know, I didn't really understand the idea of like having a work-life balance. And for mm -hmm. me, I carried like the same, um, mindset that I had, like when working like in agricultural fields, like in, during my, my summer breaks. Um, so for example, uh, my first full-time job right out of college, I thought the number one thing to do was to just give it my best foot forward and work as many hours as I could, even if it meant like coming into the office earlier and staying in the office after hours, just to stand out from my white peers, just because I felt like there was already like a division in, in that room, favoritism or, you know, opportunities being extended to them rather than me just because of the color of my skin. And so I felt like I had to work twice as much um, with that. I had obviously like the imposter syndrome and it wasn't until like I would see how my family or, you know, my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, how, how they would tell me you're very stressed. You know, you're always bringing like this negative energy, you know, you've been a little grouchy and, um, I think that's just like one of the symptoms of being burned out that, you know, it's, you're kind of taking it out on your close, your close to loved ones. And um, it made me realize like, whoa, like I got to like chill out because life isn't all about working. I feel like we're all here to like at least have some fun, right? We're not here to just pay bills and get by. We're, we got to like treat ourselves and explore life and, you know, learn more about ourselves inside. So um, yeah, I definitely feel like I had a lot of moments where I was like, yeah, I'm burnt out. Pretty recently, too, um, I've decided that I'm not going to do summer quarter again with school because <laughs> I can't continue mm -hmm. that. all that study mm. during the summer. I, I got to take a break. And for me, it was, you know, like if I do summer quarter, I'm going to finish my my MBA faster. Uh, but man, was I burnt out. Like that was that was hell. <laughs> That's so funny because I was having a conversation yesterday with um, the group that I work with and he was Mexican and he was really down on himself and he was just telling me, he's like, yeah, you know, I think I have flojera mm -hmm. and he, and also, you know what flojera is? I had no idea what it was, but I understood it immediately because we don't use that in the Colombian language. And it's funny how we have, you know, culturally this word to talk about your lack of uh, productivity. And we call it like flojera, like it's loose or like you're not, I don't know. I don't know how to translate it into English, but almost like you're not tight. You're not like structured or, you know, moving mm -hmm. forward. Mm -hmm. And it blew my mind because and I had to break it down and explain to him how these words may have come from our culture. But it's embedded within us because there's this idea that we have to like work, 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 work mm -hmm. in order to just barely make it above, like just have our heads above water. And then we can feel like we deserve to rest, right? Yeah. And and you think about what that does to someone's mental health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, and I'm hearing you speak and you're like, you know, summer quarter. And like, I guess that's like summer session. In, mm -hmm. in yeah, your, right? Yeah. <laughs> and me as someone who, 
objectively looking at you, I'm like, yo, that's so dope. Like he he's high achieving, right? If somebody else were to do that, you're you're high achieving, but you're just like, nah, I can't just do baseline anymore. Mm-hmm. That's how it feels to you, and it's it's crazy how that affects your sense of self and inevitably your mental health. So I guess my next question is. How, how are the ways that you feel from your experience that your mental health was affected by being Christian? Uh, I think one of the biggest things was, you know, always feeling like I had to prove myself um, to stand out in like in the classroom or like in the, in the office, just because I felt like uh, <clears throat> I felt like more attention was given to people who already had connections, who had that relationships with managers just because they knew them outside of like the class or outside of work. Um, you know, and a lot of that was really just not knowing that I had like that imposter syndrome going on. I always questioned myself, am I capable of doing this? Um, am I even meant to do this? Did I, did I make the right decision going to college in the city? Um, which by the way, was like two and a half hours away from home. And so even feeling homesick, uh, was there a lot of the times, I haven't mentioned this, but when I went to my undergrad, I had plans to uh, major in business, but it was so competitive. It was like really competitive school to get into. I was rejected for my major, but I knew I still wanted to pursue a degree. Uh, I made a career in business uh, and I had to like network my way around to like just find opportunities. And I was so like uh, fortunate to have had uh, an internship like in finance and accounting, which is technically like in the business field. And so that's kind of how I got my foot in the door. But like even like a year or two in, like into my career, I had to tell others that, no, I actually had a degree in communications, not business. And so that feeling of having to prove myself that I'm capable of and deserving of being there um, was always in the back of my head. It always, every day I went into work worried or stressed or feeling like I had to prove something. And so that definitely took a toll on my mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you mentioned that it was kind of, coming into the home with your girlfriend, now wife. Um, so mm-hmm. what would you say, like, were the symptoms or, like, the the consequences of that? Like, when did you start to notice that it was affecting your mental health and what did you do about it? I think for me, one of the biggest things that I was, was going to be doing to, you know, help that part was just taking breaks from work when needed. Um, sometimes I'd... I actually work from stuff in the office, like even on Sundays and be like, no, screw that. I'm going to pay to do this. I'm just going to do this in the office tomorrow, you know, taking a, uh, long, uh, little mini, or I guess long or short little road trips with my wife. Um, we love traveling. We love doing things, enjoying the outdoors. And so really it's just remembering to have fun with life. Um, cause believe it or not, I just was so consumed with school or work that I just didn't remember that. And, that was not cool. <laughs> what was that shift though, right? From being so consumed to deciding, fuck that, I'm going to put myself first. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know, like one thing I was like, whoa, I gained 20 pounds just because I've been eating unhealthy. Mm. Um, I get home from work and I'm like, I'm too lazy to cook or um, I'm just going to order us takeout, babe. And she's like, well, that sounds yummy. You know, like she'd follow me, whatever I wanted. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's just do takeout, takeout, takeout. <laughs> and that wasn't, of course, but, um, 
that that was just like one thing for example me realizing that i'm sleep deprived getting like wrinkles under my eyes or it wasn't until like one time i think my mom pointed out that i had like a gray hair and i was like no way that's only if like you're stressed and i was like i'm not stressed and i was in denial i was like okay i'm going crazy now like (laughs) (laughs) okay no i think that's super helpful so that other folks can kind of hear like well what is it that like are the signs because i think again it can be confused with imposter syndrome and i feel like a lot of us to deal with it or experience it but I also Mm kind of want to be remind everyone who's listening to say that like it's not necessarily that we're not good enough it's the environments that we're in that make us feel like we're not good enough because I think a lot of times we're like I'm not doing as well as this person and it's like no, that person is actually probably not even up to your standard but the way that society is set up like it doesn't matter that this person isn't showing up in the ways that you do they're just going to be advantaged because of who they are and i think that that's the part that makes us like feel crazy and i think we need to remind ourselves that sometimes we operate in these systems and these institutions in these workplaces that aren't fair and i don't want that to be what's internalized um for us as like first gen folk and then on the flip side right when you think about in like how we've internalized culturally certain things about ourselves and our and who we are as a collective and where that even comes from, right? Because that person that talked to me about Flojera yesterday, I had to break it down for him and let him know we probably got that because we are from third world countries. The, you know, you go back to imperialism and countries taking our resources and then us having to work extra harder to compete with them when in reality they came in. And this is how I see it. They came in and took from us. And now we have to like, we're starting from a different point and how we kind of internalize this idea that if this capitalistic idea that if we don't do it on our own, there's something wrong with us, right? So imagine you're starting that way within your own mind and you're in a new environment and then that environment isn't conducive to you feeling better or feeling like you're being productive, like to Crystal's point, it's really, really difficult. You're feeling like you're just pushing like a concrete wall and you're not getting anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel that's the same way. <laughs> Concrete wall, that's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. So in our podcast, we just obviously talk about mental health. And we do um, discuss being first gen, um, but we also have a lot of like other identities or other pieces to us um, that also exist. And I wanted to ask you, when did you recognize, begin to recognize the different parts of yourself? Because I don't think that for Sasha and I, that we were able to realize it until we were a little bit older, until we yeah. kind of understood the systems that we were operating in. Um, mm-hmm. And then we were able to kind of build a more objective perspective of the world around us. Um, so mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, like, when did you start to, I guess, uh, you know, see the other parts of yourself, your other identities, your interests, things like that? You know, I think for me, uh, one of the biggest things was, you know, realizing that, you know, my mental health is important and that I need to prioritize that over my career um, just because, uh, you know, being so consumed by trying to make it um, you know, I get caught up in this lifestyle of uh, this hustle culture that I later found out that it can be toxic, right? And I think for me, it was like when my wife and I, uh, we moved across the state after six years of living in Seattle, we we moved across the state and um, <clears throat> here in Washington state, everything's so different on the other side, you know, like political interests, um, you know, like the demographics of the area. And I just worked for a, um, a different company that was like a completely different industry, 
the management just had very different leadership styles than what I was used to, uh, more of having more of a conservative mindset as well. I felt like I often clashed with a lot of my peers in my new role because just of the different ways that we saw things. And um, one of the things that I encountered was having uh, these managers who would put just like immense amounts of pressure on me for certain things related to work or even outside of work. And I didn't feel like I had the same support and guidance. And that's when I really started realizing that like, yo, this is, this is toxic as hell. <laughs> you got to come home so stressed. And I, I would, I would just be so worried and be anxious about everything going on that I realized it was literally like impacting me as a person. I wouldn't be able to function. I wouldn't be having f- joy and fun in the things that I used to do that, that brought me um, life, you know? And I think for me, that's, that's when I put my foot down and I was like, you know what, Th- this, this shit ain't for me. And I actually resigned from that job. And I was like, I'm finding something else because I-, I can't do this. And I think for me, that was like the first time in my career that I've done that, that I just put my foot down. And I was like, I'm going to get what I deserve. You know, I'm going to find somebody who appreciates me and values my work. Um, and that, that was like a pivotal moment in my career. That's amazing. I think that that takes a lot. It sounds so easy to, to do okay. and to say, but when you're thinking about it, like my money, you know, what am I going to do? Oh my right. God, I'm going to be homeless. I, it, like all these things. And then it adds on to your stress. Yeah. And, it's, and it's even more stress, right? So I guess for me, I, I hear your story, but I do want to break it down a little bit more with the, mm-hmm. in, within regards to like who your bosses were, what did they look like? Is that what helped you recognize that there was a difference between you and your environment, right? Like in recognizing these different parts of your identity that you are a Mexican-American. Well, yeah. you're not, are you, do you define yourself as a Mexican-American? Because I just put that on you, sorry. No, you're good. I mean, <laughs> I don't mind. I mean, yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, Mexican, Mexican-American, um, I go back and forth between the two, but I don't really care. Um, I'm Mexican, so yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, not to answer your question, um, everybody in the in that office was basically white. And I was like, yep, I don't fit in here. Uh, another <laughs> thing was uh, the religious aspect. So they're a um, big Mormon family. It was like a family-owned business. And um, my family and I were we were raised like going to the Catholic church, of course. And uh, it's very common for a lot of folks in Mexico, obviously. Um, but that, that division right there was huge because I just wasn't, I wasn't part of the group. Like they would have management meetings and I'd be sitting outside of them and they'd come all out as a group, you know, all of them being white. And I was like, that's cool. You know, I feel like my, my skills and my education make, uh, should I should deserve to be in that room, you know, making those decisions because I am kind of managing this whole aspect of the business. But um, things like that, where I was just like, bro, come on. Like, <laughs> we're in New York and New York City specifically, right? Because not all of mm-hmm. New York State is as diverse. So I just want to be clear. Um, and I think that uh, it's so interesting to me how in such a diverse city sometimes even we can find ourselves in a room full of white people and I'm like I grew up in a neighborhood where everyone looked like me or spoke the same language as me where I you know like I went to schools that obviously to some extent were segregated right um whether it's you know like it's not segregation like back in the days but there's other ways to kind of segregate schools and I'm like I remember kids being just as smart as me or doing well in classes 
in AP courses. And I'm like, where are they? Like, why? <laughs> you know, and, and I would say, and I've still been in more diverse settings um, here in New York. So I can't imagine being like the one of only, you know, like the one and only like Mexican or just person of color in a room. After you quit that particular job, was that when you decided to start your consulting group or what was the transition to, no, to, so, your, to starting your own business? So, yeah, I mean, it's not too far off. Um, you know, when I left that job, thankfully, I, I had already been looking for other uh, for other jobs like a couple of weeks in advance. I ended up finding some uh, law firm to work um, at, but that gig only lasted like six, seven months. Um, they didn't really find the value of my position and it was um, the position ended up being terminated. So it wasn't um, directly me. The, the, the law firm was just going through like an organizational restructure and they're like, well, I don't think we need that position anymore because we're going to focus our efforts into this aspect of the business marketing, for example. And so I was like, that's cool, you know, but in my eyes, I still got laid off and I still questioned my worth, (laughs) which really sucked. But um, that was December of like 2019. Um, The next month, there's like, obviously, the whole word about the coronavirus starting. And I was like, that's nothing. Who cares? You know, (laughs) I was so ignorant. And uh, it wasn't until March. Yeah, it was March, you know, when they announced like the global like shutdown. Mm -hmm. I was like, fuck <laughs> this is sucks right right when i got laid off thankfully i was on unemployment benefits and because of the covid pandemic they they ended up giving more additional stimulus packages to like unemployed folks and so that helped me get by financially but finding a job was the worst because all these jobs were being closed down um all these uh, jobs were like being like temporarily suspended temporarily so i you know keep an eye on my email like every day refreshing it but i wouldn't hear back from any job and so I was laid off for seven months, which which sucked. Um, and it was like in that in that gap of time where I was like, you know what? If I ever find myself um, unemployed or fired or something, I want to have something to fall back on. And so that's when I had the idea of starting a consulting business. That way, I can find my own clients and not have to worry about like reporting to the man. You know, I would be the man. I could you know manage everything on my end. And so. <clears throat> That's when I started it. And obviously, it took some time to, you know, really prepare what I wanted to do. But it was like in De- like the end of December, um, January 1st of like the next year, which is technically this year, um, wow. which is when I started it and, you know, pursued that. Wow, that's amazing. First of all, you are the man, not would be the man. You are the man now. So <laughs> shout out to you. Yeah. Second, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think of, like when I heard about your consulting group, um, I just kept thinking like, okay, his whole, um, the consulting group is geared around being first gen, right? So I do want to ask you about that. Why, you know, first gen, what, pro- what propelled you to actually like focus on this specific group one and two? I also want to ask about your first gen experience and figuring out how you were going to approach this business. Like, what was that like? Because we already spoke about a whole history of yours that you just didn't have anybody to fall back on. How did you even approach that? Like, how did that feel to just kind of like be in it and say, all right, going to start from zero? Yeah. So for me, it was just like a a combination of things. Um, So it's not... Uh, so technically, when I started it, I wanted to start it as like a management consulting firm, you know, to um, provide services to like small and medium sized uh, businesses and startups. 
Um, and so that, that's how I started it, you know, that type of consulting work. But when I started like the social media pages, like the Instagram and Facebook, I wasn't really getting a whole lot of, um, out of me creating posts that were specifically designed around consulting. Um, to be honest, I kind of thought it was boring at first. I was like, if I think this is boring, my friends for sure think it's boring, you know? But of course, a lot of like my, my family and friends who were supportive of a page, um, I realized that one of the things that we had in common was that, you know, we had similar backgrounds. We were children of immigrant parents. We were first gens. Um, and so I remember talking about one of my college experiences um, just in an unfiltered way. I was even calling out some of the organizations on campus that just had impacted my mental health because I was like, you know, I'm at a point in my career that I don't care what I say. <laughs> I'm just going to say it and call them out and be like, this is bullshit, <laughs> which, which was fun. But uh it got so much engagement. A lot of folks related to it, like, you know, thank you for speaking facts. Finally, somebody who just called it out um, because not everybody's, you know, just it's not every day that somebody just calls out the system and calls out all of its flaws. Right. And it was something that it was a conversation that I had with my wife at the time where we were just like, you know, talking about each other's experiences throughout college and, you know, we're like, you know what, like we, we can't be the only ones. And so when I started like the Instagram page, for example, uh, one of the things that I launched then and there was like our storytelling series, which we call First Gen Cuentos. And, you know, we we just encourage folks to talk about, you know, certain experiences of being first gen, just like in an unfiltered and transparent way. And so the page just started going like crazy. It just started growing like crazy after that. Um, we just saw a lot of people relating to that type of content. And so that's why we decided to take the, the consulting page in that direction. And so it's not just first gen, but it's also management consulting. It's like a blend of the two. And so um, that that's kind of how it, we went down that path. And um, <clears throat> obviously within time, we launched our website. Um, we launched like our mentorship program. And, uh, you know, th things have been pretty cool since then. Nice. So it seems like you found kind of a niche market. Uh, well, maybe, I mean, it's a pretty big market, but still niche within mm -hmm. um, the general uh, society. I'm curious, and this is more so me maybe projecting, but also relating. I know that now I'm in a position where I have a team, a very, very small team, uh, but I have a team and I try to be very uh, conscious about the ways that I didn't or don't like to be uh, managed and try to, you know, not perfectly, but try to kind of break those patterns of um, management that were imposed on us growing up, which I do feel like come from a very white hierarchical, like patriarchal, capitalistic um, society. So do you, um, I guess, are you strategic in the ways that you do management consulting or do you kind of take these things into consideration about being first gen and how you were treated in your previous jobs and kind of try to shift the culture and when when you consult yeah somewhat thankfully like when i worked for a startup i i witnessed like other contractors and consultants you know come into the office and I was able to witness how they worked how they prepared their like their engagements their agreements and i sort of went off of that there, I remember this. Uh, there was this one where it, it was like this lady. She was like a twenty-year 
seasoned professional. And I just thought she was like badass because like she came like from the East coast, you know, she worked in the city and she always came like in uh, all this designer clothes and all, it was like all black and elegant. And so I was like, I kind of want something like that. I want to feel like that, you know? And so that's like why that kind of inspired the logo too, for my business and like the whole, the black and blue aspect, just because I wanted it. I wanted our image to have that, um, that effect I wanted to make like an arresting first impression to any client that I would serve. And so a lot of the clients that I did have, um, they're, you know, like they're like in the tech industry, obviously because I worked in Seattle, I'd just been able to make those connections. And mm. so that's where I went through that. I, I wanted to come off like that and not come off as like somebody who's like inexperienced. No, like, cause when it comes to consulting, you always say have to be the professional, you have to be the expert in your field. And so I always had to put my, my best foot forward. Um, now when it comes to like providing consulting work, my consulting services to like the first gen community, I believe that, you know, the, 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 the tables kind of turn, turn a little, I don't want to come off as like that because then I'm going to be intimidating or not approachable to like my fellow first gens who are still figuring it out. You know, I, I've been in those shoes and I, I still, I try to be accessible. I try to be more myself. I try to come off as, um, just my authentic self to create those relationships and, you know, make connections. So I'm glad you used the word authentic because that was my next question. It was about authenticity and how you approach any client, right? Mm -hmm. So it kind of sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, because, but the reality is that, you know, if you're not part of the, the heteronormative, like top status, you're going to do this, right? There's this thing called code switching. So it kind of feels like, you know, mm -hmm. you show up one way with the IT companies and then you show up another way that's a little more authentic, like within yourself, because I, I go through it and, and maybe, and again, mm -hmm. like Crystal, I think I'm projecting too, right? Like I'm in situations where my, like what's palatable to other people, voice comes out. And then I constantly I'm in conflict with myself, like, well, no, Sasha, you should just be who the hell you are, because these people feel a hundred percent comfortable in being who they are as well. And it's, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough battle and it's still ongoing. It's not perfect. So I just wanted to ask you about authenticity with the IT companies, right? Not just those who need you to be authentic, but those who might be taken aback a little bit, or you're afraid to be authentic with. Yeah, no, for sure. There's like this uh, concept that goes around here called like this authenticity trap, where if we are too much of ourselves at some of the time, um, it's going to just destroy our image to those people and they're not going to take us seriously, you know? And so one of the things that you mentioned that I really liked was like the idea of code switching. So that's very real. I find myself doing that a lot of time when I'm like in the workplace, like working with other professionals in the area versus when I'm working like with some students, you know? And so well, I think one of the things that I realized was, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be, you know, doing that, I, I need to be aware of it um, and why I'm doing it. And so I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but like some of the times, like when I'd come home from work, I'd talk to my wife, like, like if we were in the office and she'd like, she'd be like, why can't talk to me like that? Just, you think you are, you know? and I was like, wait, what? And she's like, yeah, you think you're like, you're some smart ass guy, you know, like you're, you're, you're I'm sorry, babe. Like you're right. And it's just like me trying to, me almost like trying to be somebody that I'm not. And uh, mm. it, it's been, it's <laughs> like a lot of reality moments where I'm just like behind the face, like, yo, like, why am I being like this? You know? Um, and so <clears throat> it, it just depends on like the, the setting of course. But if I'm like, you know, 
on Instagram and sharing like content, I'm going to be, I'm going to be myself in a way that others can relate to. Um, when it comes to like being like in the work setting, obviously I'm going to be coming off, like I said, um, I'm going to be putting my professional side forward and not use like profanity or, you know, be joking around. I'm going to be in a serious mode, serious environment, um, just because that that's what's going to set me up for success when it comes to consulting work. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I found what Sasha said so funny, like leave it to a Latina to call you out. <laughs> like stop being that person. <laughs> Shout out to your wife. Uh, for yeah, I know like, that. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. She keeps her ground. I love her for that because she, she'll always call it out. She'll always like, she's like, stop being fake. You know, I can, I can smell it. You know, I'm like, you're right, babe. You know, <laughs> she always yeah. keeps the rules. So I love that about her. Yeah, and I I do think that you are onto something in terms of like knowing when to when it is um, appropriate to code switch because I think that um, when we do talk about like being authentic, it's it's one of those things where we still need to get through the door first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that sometimes when we go in being ourselves, it's not that there's anything wrong with that. Is that we live in a society that has already been conditioned and programmed very well to not accept the way that people of color show up. And when we think about uh, just society, it's like, you know, when when they want to pick and choose what they like about it, like our food, our clothes, mm-hmm. our music and things like that, it's, it's palatable. But when it's on us, it's not. So I definitely understand that need to to code switch and i hope that my hope is that like as you're beginning to open doors for other first gen folks that we begin to create spaces for ourselves and others where we all can show up authentically no matter what Mm -hmm. like from the second like whether we're an entry level junior whatever Mm -hmm. associate whatever to like the ceo level so i hope that you know as you know with something like your consulting group that we begin to kind of work to shift the culture in the spaces or create our own spaces i think sometimes you know we can't change um these bigger systems on our own but if we start to create our own spaces uh, we can shift the culture as well Mm -hmm. yeah i think part of the the whole on concept of like being authentic um for me at least i kind of blended that with being humble because Mm. i've met other like first generation students who who end up making it and that's awesome you know congrats to them they they find cool jobs like at microsoft or amazon or google but then that was the last i ever heard of them they didn't really you know want to talk about their experiences they weren't really interested in giving back and I noticed I saw them like go down like that, that corporate chain where they just wanted to, you know, make it and be cool and, you know, come off like all cool and all that. But I was like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like some jerk who thinks he's like on top of the world. I want to remember my roots and remember my struggles because that's what made me who I am, you know? And so when I try to show up like as my authentic self, like on social media, I always keep that in mind. I always try to, um, you know, present myself in that way, because I got to understand, you know, a lot of folks are still figuring it out. They're either going in college or struggling in college, or some of them even left college just because of not knowing how to move forward in their paths. And so that was very good for me. So we've been talking a lot about the different identities, right? So you're talking about the corporate identity and, you know, how you can be your authentic self with your people kind of thing kind of thing jesus christ whatever i'm gonna leave that um (laughs) this is my my authentic self 
What's your opinion on addressing mental health as a first generation man of color? Man, I think for me, like the biggest thing is like, you just got to talk about it with somebody, whether it's like a sibling or a parent or your partner or classmate, you got to talk about what's going on in your head to process what's going to, to just to process everything. Cause like for me, um, you know, being like a man of color, like Mexican, a lot of like the role models I had growing up, they didn't really communicate these things. They didn't vent to anybody. They kind of all kept it inside because they felt like they had to hold down the, the, the fort that, you know, being vulnerable and communicating, you know, with mental health issues just was almost seen as like you're weak or you're not man enough. And for me, that was, I, I had that mindset for a long time, but it wasn't that I, until that I met like my, my, my wife, my, my girlfriend at the time that I felt like I could uh, talk to someone and just be my true self, you know, talk about like what's going on, um, like at school or work, what's worrying me, you know, like, um, everything just going on in my head, it was nice to know that I could talk to somebody, they could give me feedback, they can help me see things through different perspectives. Um, and it really helped me get by. Otherwise, I felt like I would have just gone mad, you know, playing with all these thoughts in my head. And I, I feel like I would have just gone down like a, a really dark path if I had just been on my own. So, yeah. Did you ever consider going to therapy? Did you go to therapy? Do you like think about maybe doing it in the future? Oh, definitely. Yes. Um, I have not been to therapy yet. I would like to. Um, <clears throat> I just, uh, I don't know. I feel like uh, the first time that I witnessed um, somebody go to therapy was like one of my, one of my fraternity uh, bros, like in college, um, he was going through a lot at the time. And, um, a lot of peers obviously just said, Oh yeah, he had a, he had a mental breakdown, but um, I didn't see it like that. He, he uh, just, you know, he separated himself from that group to take some time for himself. And he started going to therapy sessions to me. I don't think that's a mental breakdown, but the fact that these people already see that the, um, the, 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 um, the view on that is just like, so frowned upon, I feel like that's a problem, you know? And so I think therapy should be, encouraged to folks, you know, like if they need somebody to talk to about anything. And for me, that's definitely something that I want to do. Um, I, I know it's not the same, but, you know, I feel like I've been, I've been able to have a, an open uh, relationship with my wife where we just like go back and forth, back and forth. A lot of what we do is talking because we, we try to process things together. You know, we're both first gens, we're both Mexicans, child of immigrants, and we're both trying to figure it out. And a lot of it, like, we're almost like each other's therapists, you know, we, we just hear each other out, but I definitely think it'd be super cool to see like a real, like a uh, licensed professional, the both of us and, um, you know, see, a, see a new perspective. So I love the fact that you and your wife have that relationship and Crystal and I, we don't necessarily force therapy on everybody, right? There are ways that you can have therapeutic experiences without therapy per se. So I think that's what you're speaking to. But something mm -hmm. that I do want to bring up and push back if you feel like I'm putting you on the spot too much. But as a someone who identifies as a Latina, um, I have noticed that the machismo within our culture really sets up, uh, I guess, this box for men well, specifically men of color who don't necessarily feel that they can speak about their feelings because of the cultural boundaries that we we lit, we grow up in. And I've come to find that as a woman, a lot of men will usually use women as outlets. 
because mm -hmm. we're in this this very boxed cultural setting what i'm trying to ask is what would you what kind of advice would you give to other men who don't necessarily feel safe in speaking about these things with their girlfriends or their partners because crystal and i just did an episode on how us as women will perpetuate this toxicity within the idea of manhood onto other men so mm -hmm. what else what what are the other i guess options aside from just speaking to your partner because it worked out for you right but then i've, I've also seen people where this can become a very toxic dynamic yeah for sure so i mean obviously there's going to be people who just aren't aren't ready to uh be vulnerable or maybe don't feel safe being vulnerable and that's very that's very real i mean for me it took a while because i i didn't necessarily trust the people that i was um you know, that I had relationships with, like whether it be friends or um, family, I just hadn't had that, that trust there. And so um, I felt like at the time it was really just to protect like my own interests. I didn't want to be judged. I, I thought I figured it'd just be best to like, just be quiet, you know, but I think for folks that like are in relationships, I would encourage that communication because I feel like it would just lead to a more uh, fulfilling and rich relationship. Um, I think, talking about our problems uh, has only brought us closer together. Um, and I, I, I just think, I, I know that just like it worked for me, but um, I would encourage others to like to give it a shot. And so like, I, I think of like um, <clears throat> friends that are still back home, you know, who, who didn't go to college and may still have that, like that machismo mindset. I'd be like, yo, you don't got to do this for yourself. You know, you don't got to like be quiet all the time. You don't, you don't got to think that all the pressure's on you, you know, just talk it out with your, with your girl or, you know, with somebody and um, you'll find that a lot of the feelings that you're going through, you know, chances are they, they may have had similar experiences or they're going through something similar. Um, so yeah, that's just my two cents. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, to Sasha's point, uh, we in, in Latinx culture, we do box ourselves into whether it's, you know, men, machismo, this is what it looks like. And women, they're soft, but they're spicy. I feel like for women, it's very confusing because you got to be soft, but you got to be spicy, but you got to be hot, but you got to be a mm. mother. It's, it's kind of hard to balance it. Yeah. Uh, but I do appreciate that you're, because even on your Instagram, I think that's how uh, we kind of like first got to know you, kind of breaking down those machismo like norms within our community to say like yeah like this doesn't need to be that way and i think that as we talk about the first gen experience um especially if you're from a latinx background also thinking about um you know like there are other norms and other ways that we grew up thinking and believing of certain things and gender norms within our community are you know like it, it seems like a lot because it's like okay like not only was I first gen and now there's also this but those are other things that we also need to like consider breaking mm -hmm. down as we start to um, create and pave uh ways for ourselves within our communities, within our jobs, within our roles. And I just want to make sure that we also don't forget that because I think it's important. And I think you do weave that in to your message on your page as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, a lot of that communication, at least with my, my wife and I, we are trying to, you know, we're, we're unlearning a lot of what we were exposed to growing up and we are, you know, obviously mm. trying to break those cycles, but um, you know, going back on that topic of machismo, um, just because both of us saw as like our, our father is as like, you know, the head of the household, like our, our main role models. 
uh, we looked to, to them and we, you know, they set the example for us. And so that's what we've been, that's all, that's all we ever knew growing up. Right. And, um, I don't know. I can, I can think of like one example where, you know, whenever I go visit my, my suegros, my in-laws, uh, you know, they'll be very, uh, very nice. They'll give me like a warm welcome. Be like, Hey, you want a beer or what? You know? And they, they, um, he'd be like, Hey, Marty, get, go get your husband a beer, you know? And give me one too while you're at it, you know, like obviously because like as a, as a, like a daughter, you know, you're just, you're used to doing those things and she'd do that. But when it was like time for dinner, you know, like if she was like expected to like serve me, she'd look at me and she'd like, you can serve yourself. (laughs) 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 Okay. And I was like, you know what, more, I guess I get to, you know, put the amount of food that I want on my plate and uh, we'll keep it there. And my son would be like, no, like have her serve you. And I was like, no, it's cool. I got it. I got it. You know? And, uh, it's, it's an awkward moment because, you know, you're, you're telling the head of the household, not like I, we're going to do it my way. You know, it's, it's, it's something else, you know, and and it's little things like that, that I think are like considering breaking those cycles just because you're breaking the norm, you know, and, um, Mm. it's, it's definitely like an, a, a weird, awkward feeling that I wasn't used to at first, but within time, because we've been together for years now that they already know that that's the case. Like I'll mm. sometimes go to the fridge and get the beer myself or, um, you know, I'll serve myself. You know, another thing is when we actually just purchased, uh, purchased our home, one of the things I was really looking forward to was mowing my lawn because I just thought that was like such a manly thing to do to take pride in. And, um, <clears throat> you know, that's what I saw my dad doing. And, uh, my wife, she had, she's like, yo, can I try that? And I was like, no, you go inside and wash dishes or something, you know? And she called it out and she'd be like, okay, Mr. Machista, like call it, trying to call it out. I was like, oh, shit, you're right. You know, like, man, thank you for putting my place. I was like, no, you try it. Come on. And I encouraged her. It was just funny, like seeing her mode like, just because I was like, this is so weird, you know, like <laughs> that's talk about breaking cycles, you know, but just those were just a couple of examples that I could think of off, off the top of my head that are just kind of in regards to that no shout out to your wife a true cool yeah. girl we love you over Absolutely. here just fyi we're team you we're team yeah i'm like thinking in my head i'm like yo she's part of this consulting group too we gotta get her on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> i would love to have a conversation with your wife she seems strong as hell yeah very she's she'll, she'll call it out she's very real so yeah, but I also have to shout you out um, for your ability, which I know that it could be tough, right, to just say, to be checked, right? Because we're all learning out here, and you're just like, yo, I'm not perfect, but it's okay. Um, be honest, and I'm going to try my best. And I think that that's something that a lot of people, especially within, can- like, the idea of cancel culture, like how you could get canceled so quickly, mm. we're afraid to even try and then make a mistake and then have like be shut down or attacked because we didn't do it the right way. Like, no, I love your openness to be like, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to try. And that's all I, me as a clinician and as a human being, uh, that's all I ever really want from people. I just want them to put their best foot forward, as you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate that. As we wrap up, um, I do want to know, Knowing what you know now, what do you wish you had been told growing up or just in the years leading up to where you are today? Like, what do you wish you would have known back then? You know, I there are, I feel like I could think of like a lot of things, but I feel like the experiences that I went through were probably for a reason. And I think I learned certain things at the perfect time. Uh, you know, things like learning that my mental health should be prioritized just as my just as much as like my physical health. 
that I should surround myself in healthy and upbringing environments rather than like toxic and shaming ones. Um, I want to be around people who are going to bring the best in me and not bring like the ugly parts of me, you know? Um, and part of that's just like, uh, you know, going through different uh, friendships and relationships. Um, I feel like if I had known, you know, all these things, like when I was younger, I wouldn't have had the same struggles and I wouldn't have become the same person. You know, it just would have been like too perfect, you know? And I think things are meant to be imperfect at times just to have, um, you know, like that perfect outcome. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, I think everything happened for a reason. Um, Absolutely. I think, oh, I guess one thing is for sure is I I (laughs) wish I would have, I wish that I would have tried a little bit harder in school growing up. (laughs) I think that would have made things a lot easier in college. So I do beat myself up for that, but I was slacking. I was like, just not in that mode yet. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's honest. And I I can appreciate that for sure. Um, So thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your story and also for creating space and mentorship and things like that for other first gen folks who are coming up uh, behind you. Um, Can you please let our listeners know where they can follow you, where they can find you? How can they get involved um, with your business? Yeah, for sure. So um, we're on social media and on Instagram. Uh, you can find us at at dot Pena. I mean, at Pena dot consulting. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. Uh, LinkedIn, of course, if you want to like get connected, like on a professional level. Um, our uh, mentorship program, which we offer to any first gens is completely free. And so for anybody who wants to be like a mentor, mentor, they can go to our website, Pena and com and click like on the first hub tab. Uh, and that's a, a resource that we offer to students. Uh, I guess it'd be cool to announce that uh, in, on this episode that we did just announce the uh, <clears throat> the launch of our scholarship that we're going to be offering. And so we will be accepting applications like on December 1st. Um, and we haven't uh, announced a whole lot of details about it yet, but I do want to bring that up in case if either of you know of anybody who might benefit from some type of like financial award, um, that's definitely out there as well. Um, but yeah. Find us on social media. <laughs> Does it have to be students with on the West Coast or nope. it is it nationwide? Everything. It's nationwide. Oh, so. Good to know. Yeah, that's that that's that is one of the specifics that is for sure. So it's not just um Washington State, it's it's nationwide. That's dope. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Definitely check out Fabio and his wife and his business will definitely uh, link that on our show notes so that you can follow them. Yeah, make sure to also follow us at Never yeah. Told Us Pod um, on TikTok and Instagram. And if you just want to share your thoughts on this episode or connect with us, definitely email us at nevertoldthispod at gmail.com. And don't forget to come back next week so we can tell you what they never told us. <laughs>